Hello, everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, this isn't an ianabernethy.com podcast, although it is a podcast uh, featuring yours truly, uh, Ian Abernethy. Uh, just before Christmas, I was interviewed by the guys at the Karate Cafe uh, podcast. If you know, if you don't subscribe to that, um, you um, you should. I think you'll like it. And we had a g- fun conversation, um, which obviously those guys have put out as uh, on their feed. And I asked them, you know, would it be okay to put it out on mine? And they were kind enough to to say that was uh, that was okay. So I, I hope you enjoy this this conversation. It covers a wide range of topics, and of course, you know, do subscribe to the guys at Karate Cafe so you don't miss the things that they're putting out as well. Um, just one quick thing from me as well. In the last podcast, I asked for your top ten favorite of my own podcasts over the last 10 years and loads of you have emailed in already which is great but uh, if more of you could do that as well you know your top 10 over the last 10 years what your favorite podcasts have been because i've got something special that i i want to organize towards the latter half of the year but i need a good handle on what the listeners top 10 favorite podcasts have, have, have been so yeah anyway okay so happy new year to you i hope 2016 has already been good to you and i hope you enjoy uh, myself and the guys at karate cafe in this uh, conversation Yeah, there's gotta be a better way to manage a dojo You think about it a lot and you don't know You try various things without any luck Online or off, you seem to get stuck With your dojo manager here to help you A simple tool to help manage your school The sign up is easy and not long The dojo manager.com With your martial artist for martial artists Helping you make your school go the farthest The sign up is easy and not long The dojo manager.com Come sign up today. Yeah. Welcome to Karate Cafe, your source for martial arts conversations since 2005. Karate Cafe is sponsored by Piranha Gear. Visit piranagear.com for all your martial arts equipment needs. And now, here's your hosts, Paul Wilson and Dan Williams. Hello again, everybody. It's Paul here with another episode of Karate Cafe. I hope you guys had a great holiday season, and we have a very special holiday gift for you. Can you believe it? Finally, after a year or so of juggling, we have our interview with the great Ian Abernathy. He and I sat down next to a cozy mug of the internet and uh, had a long, this is like a, a, just right at an hour long interview. Unfortunately, Dan couldn't make it, but uh, he will have to sit in shame and awe as I got to discuss all things martial arts with Ian. He discussed some of his background. He discussed uh, his research methods. He discussed uh, some of his thoughts uh, on self-defense and training. Uh, We talked about uh, his home dojo. Uh, It was a fairly wide-ranging conversation, and uh, without further ado, I want to get to it. The great Ian Abernathy. Guess what? Just off to my center line is not Dan Williams. Unfortunately, Dan had a little bit of an issue, but we've got your very special Christmas present, the long-awaited, long-hoped-for uh, <laughs> interview with the one, the only, Ian Abernathy. Ian, thank you for coming to Karate Cafe. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. We, uh, as, you, as you know, I've got a, a big karate crush on you, and, and we've uh, reposted <laughs> a lot of your stuff. And uh, we, we think, and uh, myself and Dan, who's a Wing Chun uh, stylist, I've often said that you know, your approach to martial arts is is um, uh, is, is, pretty, is fairly fresh and, and kind of an interesting take on traditional martial arts in general. 
And uh, so we've been really trying to get you on. We've listened to you on other shows, and we all listen to your podcast. So we really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Happy to, happy to do it. I appreciate the invite. Oh, great. Thank you very much. Uh, we have a, a list of questions, so I'm going to start with the first and more, most important one. Uh, Ian, why are you so awesome? Go. <laughs> okay. That's, 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 that's the other one. Uh, yeah. Uh, the first thing was actually I just I noticed on some of the videos you've put out lately, uh, and, and this is kind of a, a weird way to start, but it's, it's the first thing that's popping into my head, is I, I noticed that sometimes you're wearing a black belt and sometimes you're wearing a red and white belt. Yes, yes. So what's going on there? Well, I, I, um, a few years ago, I was great to uh, sixth dan. Uh, through the uh, the British Combat Association. So at that time, I was given a red and black block belt, you know, as the wearing judo for six dans and above. Um, most of the time, I don't wear that one. I wear my, my normal uh, uh, black belt simply because it's more comfortable. So I'll, I'll let you know a little secret now, you see. I, I'm, when I leave to teach seminars, when I get on planes and travel, I, I'm not that organised when I'm getting up at 4am in the morning to fly off. So I normally fly on a Friday. We teach I teach on a Thursday. So if you see a video where I've got the red and white belt on, that means I'm about to fly somewhere the next day and the black belt's in my suitcase. Oh, okay. That's, actually... <laughs> That's what it means, yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, I was given one. Um, it was a gift, you know, for getting sixth down. I don't wear it that often, but it's um, – so if the black belt's in the bag, then that's the spare that gets worn. So. Oh, okay. That's, it's actually kind of a funny – we had a, a 2D seminar – uh, last weekend, and my sensei showed up, and he he's a seventh on. He wears a red and white belt, and he's he, he's got one. He's got like I don't know six or seven different black belts that he has in various states of of, of wear and tear. But uh, he wears that one a lot. But his red and white belt, he like he literally like just forgot to take it off the hook before he left, and he had to borrow somebody's. <laughs> yeah, I've I've done that a few times. Well, I've turned up for seminars without belts in the past as well, so it's. Um... Uh, yeah, it's always good to have a spare. Well, my, the black belt I wear was, again, it was a gift from my students as well. So in my mind, there's, I have one black belt, if you see what I mean. So I've never bought any others or anything like that. So right. I've got one black, one red and white. And, the, you know, if, if, if people see a red and white one, that means that I filmed it the day before I fly, pretty much. Right. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, and that leads me to one of my other questions is, you know, we, you know, we all see your video from the seminars, and we see some from your actual class and stuff like that. And I know when we were talking about scheduling this interview, uh, you were talking about, you know, t- teaching your class. So what – we see the, the really cool stuff you do in seminars. Kind of what's the pace of, like, a regular class? I mean, is it just a basic sort of, quote-unquote, regular karate class? Or, I mean, are you – No, but it, I mean, the seminars are different because you, you kind of you, – you're, you're given um, – uh, picking a theme and you're running with it for like f- either four hours or a full weekend or whatever it happens to be, you know, you assume that people already know the kata, they can already move well, you know, you t- but of course for my own students, I've got to teach them all that as well. So um, I wouldn't say we have a typical class though, because we, things um, in any given kind of fortnightly cycle we'll be doing, we'll have done some basics, we'll do some kata, we'll do some pad work, we'll do lots of various types of sparring, bunkai drills, but on any given class, um, we can um, choose from that kind of menu you see in order to okay today we won't do basics because we did some basics last time so this time we'll do a little bit more on the pads so we try we'd like to keep it varied you know as much as as much as possible oh okay so because uh, i know you have um you know the world combat association and and, and all that do you 
Is that kind of how you generated the curriculum for your part of that? I mean, or because it, 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 it seems like you have a really sort of broad base of things yeah. to draw from. Well, well that, that was, I mean, we did that over a period of years. I mean, like most karate, we started off um, in a, you know, you've got, you do your basics, you've got your pair work, you do your kata, you do some sparring, and pretty much all, every class is, is kind of structured around that kind of format. And then as the years have gone by, and, you know, it's not just me, it's me and the guys that are, that are, are trained with as well. Um, we started to develop our own approach and then we start to kind of tweak the syllabus to reflect the way that we're all training. So as the years have rolled by, um, what we're actually teaching and practicing has changed, you know, quite a bit. So, um, but but the, 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 what we teach in the class is, is, is kind of our amalgam of everything that we've been taught and everything we've developed, really. Oh, interesting. So, you know, we did an episode not too long ago about, uh, you know, creating new systems and stuff like that. Do you feel that you've sort of created a new system? I mean, you, you still have your, your core of, uh, you know, what you trained in, but do you feel like you you have a, a more of a codified system or just more of a... No, I, I, would, I wouldn't... Um, systems are word I wouldn't personally use. I mean, I, I, I know what I do is karate. If you would ask me to define it further than that, I have no idea. You know, I, I, I couldn't say it, it's X type of karate. I, I, um, I started training in traditional wado. What I do now is, is far removed from that, although it still has strong elements of that within it, you know. Um, so I wouldn't say I've developed a system, but, but I always think I've got two things, really. I've got what I call my approach, which is the general way of thinking and way of practicing, which, you know, is generally what I teach at the seminars and things like that. You know, here's how I do things. Maybe there'll be elements of this that will be useful for you. And then I've got the method, which is specifically what I teach in the dojo. So I'd say I have a method of doing things, um, but I wouldn't categorize it as a style as such because built into the way that we teach as well, this is a conscious decision. I, I, I think as soon as you fixate something, as soon as you kind of cast it in amber, it, it's got a limited shelf life, you know, martial arts have always evolved they've always changed and i think we should have that built into the process so we have that in mind that i don't want my method to be the exact same as my students method because they're not me so i want them to explore and think for themselves to develop their own way of doing it based on their own experiences you know in core it's sort of free for all because you've got you know certain things that are combative rules and physics and the way that human body moves but in terms of how they kind of their own particular spin on things um, I, I would hope that what they do will be different from mine and then their students will be different still. I think that's a healthy way to do things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when you started making the move towards uh, practical karate, did you get, you know, uh, pushback from any of, you know, maybe you're like your senior instructors or your you know, your teachers and stuff that when you started down? No, path, not, no? Not, not at all. You know, I, I know a lot of people do, but um, um, where I was, my... It's like a lot of people, when you start karate, you don't know whether you're starting a good club or a bad club. You've no idea because you haven't got the knowledge to make that informed choice. So, I mean, I, I simply went, I went along to a class that a couple of my school friends were going to, but I just looked out. I just happened to have a really good teacher, a guy called Doug James, who's an eighth dan, really well respected in British karate, high technical standard, good guy, and really open-minded. You know, he, he was one of the, you know, there were certain things that, you know, he was really exacting on, 
um, you know, he likes basics have to be done right, cat has to be done right. He, the sessions were physically and technically very demanding. But then what you went and did with that information, you know, again, he was he was very open minded. He when I started to explore all this stuff, he could not have been more supportive. He was inviting people in that I thought I'd like to train with. He was organising seminars for me to go to. When I started to train with other people, it was yeah, that's a great thing. Bring that knowledge back to us. So I know a lot of people have those problems. But I'm, I'm fortunate to say I, I, I never had that. All my instructors have been extremely supportive and have been happy when I've um, put my own spin on what they've shown me. I've, I've never had that kind of demand that I do as they do. Never had that. And I mean, I mean one of the things I mean, I like it too, it's like, you know, if, if, you, if you're raising kids, at some point you want those children to be able to stand on their own two feet and leave the house. You know what I mean? You don't want to keep them in a state of consistent dependence. And I think it should be the same with the martial arts. There should be some point where your students are able to say, you know, thanks for everything you've given me. And, you know, I know you've still got more to teach me, but I can I can stand on my own two feet now. And, and thankfully, all my instructors have um, supported that. Wow, I'm weeping openly right now. It's, it's, it's awesome. The uh, well, oh, then I guess maybe that that dovetails into a nice one. Uh, another tangent of that is, you know, in your travels. I mean, and and since you've been been working on this, have you had you know traditional martial artists in general? Like you know, and I guess you know, I mean, not just in the UK, but like when you go to a seminar or something where you you know, explain some concepts that are coming from a kata, and they're like, "That's you're crazy," you know. <laughs> Yeah. Have you ever had to deal with any of that? I mean, oh yeah, loads of it. Not 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 so much at the seminars because, generally speaking, those that go to the seminars are people who are interested in what I do. Right. You know, right. so it, it very rarely do you get anything directly at the seminars because most people are. And, and I mean, and, and I, I, I always I set off right from the start. Every seminar I ever do, I always say, "Look, I'm not saying my way of doing things is the best way or the only way. It's just my way." And there might be bits of it you like, and there'll be bits of it you don't. So on that basis, I'm sure there's plenty of the people there think, "Well, I don't really agree with him on that, or I like the way I do this as opposed to he does." But that's built into the way that I teach. You know, I just that that's fine. I accept that. You don't need to convince me of what you do in the same way I'm not trying to convince you about what I do. So most of the, the kickback I tend to get tends to be, you know, emails and online and indirect stuff really. So <laughs> nothing uh, within arm's reach. No, no, it tends not to be, you know, and, and the, the thing is as well is I think he's, I mean, within the, the, the practical karate community, we, we tend to be a pretty open-minded bunch, you know what I mean? So, I've got, you know, there's people I'm surrounded with. Or there's very few that I can think of I agree, I agree with on everything. And and we just kind of accept that that's the way that it is. And it, it's, it's healthy to have disagreement and dissent, you know. So, um, and then I think as well that most people, when they actually see what I do, they'll realize that it's very pro karate. It, it, it's not anti karate at all. It's, it's fulfilling it, it's not questioning it. It's trying to make it into what it's supposed to, to be and whether people agree with the specifics of the way I do that. But it's certainly I don't think it should be threatening to to anyone's kind of existing worldview or way of practice, really. Right. I know that's what, what I found in the, the time that yeah, I told you I started doing uh, bunkai sort of related seminars uh, for myself. And, you know, I invited people and uh, and no one, it was really refreshing because everyone, you know, I had people from different styles and they were like, oh, that's kind of a cool take. You know, we do this. <laughs> and I'm like, because I was really expecting, you know, like literally I was expecting people to kind of come and go like, show me what you know, jerk. You know, yeah, but yeah. It, it's been very, I think people who walk in the door are going to be open-minded 
right there. I, you know, they, I don't think there's going to be any dojo busting going on or. No, no, and I think that, that, that's right. And, and, and just by the, the very definition, if they're the kind of person who is looking for something new, then the, the, they've already acknowledged that you're not going to find every single answer in one place. So, so I, I find that, I mean, I teach seminars, so every karate style you can think of. I have Krav Maga guys that turn up. We have Tansu Do, Taekwondo, you know, and everybody shares everything. And we all acknowledge that, you know, the bottom line, we're all trying to achieve similar things. So... I mean, it's, 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 I don't know. I, I think that styles are one of these things that will disappear in due course as people are starting to get more and more just, you know, we're all martial artists and the, the style thing is very much, a, it's a secondary thing. It's just the way we all train while we're seeking very similar things generally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if, if, if I can agree. You're wrong. I don't know if you can uh, agree with it or I can agree with it. I think the style thing will kind of be there because it'll be, you know, sort of a big bracket thing. But, uh, yeah, I do think that, especially, you know, with the Internet and you know, whatnot, people are kind of understanding. And, again, it's kind of where I was going with, with my seminars is like, you know, we all still kind of do the same stuff. You approach mm-hmm. it this way. I approach it that way. But that concept is the same. And there's your iteration of it. Here's my iteration of it. And, uh, but I mean, I, I think people still have a large amount of pride in their, you know, I study Kung Fu, I study Karate, I study, you know, Judo, whatever. Um, and that's another interesting question, uh, that I have was, um, you've obviously, you know, delved somewhat into other systems. Uh, that video you posted the other day of the throws was, was really good. And you were, you know, breaking down the difference between how Karate does it and how Judo does it. And uh, we actually had that in my uh, 2D seminar that I went to the other day. They were doing a hip throw, and I, and I, the guy who was demonstrating it had studied judo, and I was like, but the way he explained it was not the mechanical way that I understand it from judo. And I was like, and I went and I was like, hey, is that how we're supposed? And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> he said that's just the way we're doing it, you know, relative to our system. Yes. But yeah. um, so. What other systems have have you delved into? A lot of other systems, or I mean, have you? Well, in terms of various forms of karate, I've done a lot of those. You know, so I've both like modern styles, and I've been lucky enough to like cross train with people of various systems. So within the karate um, sub bracket, if you like, that's what I was meaning by styles as well. You know, like Shotokan, Goju, Wado. You know, right. I just tend to train in karate with it. Beyond that. Um, so a little bit of kickboxing stuff as well, um, judo as well, um, tiny bits of harness, not much, and just you know, lots and lots. That's a good thing about belonging to an organisation like the you know the the well the British Combat Association. And, um, they used to do the what they call the instructors courses. So every eight weeks, they would get an expert in the given system to teach all the instructors, you know, what they do. So that was quite good because that was, again, you would obviously expose lots of different methods and approaches as well. And that, that, that proved to be quite useful. Oh, very good. Yeah, I, that's, you know, one of the things that, that I enjoy. Actually, because, you know, we a year or two ago had a, a little bit of a, a back and forth about Kabuto and, and the training of that and, and finding it. it. So I, I find that when I cross train with someone else in their system, I'm looking for things that kind of, go along with, with what, I'm, what I'm working with. Not necessarily that I agree with the application, but that it goes with a concept, a core concept of the system that I'm doing. No, no, absolutely. I'm exactly the same. So I'm always looking for it. And sometimes it's something you can hang it on in your own existing practice. And I'm, I'm sure you find the same, but sometimes it's not just 
sometimes it's technical things, but more often that's not it. It'll be um, the way that they will train something that that will be more appealing, you know. So I, I'll end up taking a training method back as well as your know, specific methods and things as well. So I think you, you can you can learn a lot. And see, we forget this with the, the the history of it. If you look at our old masters, you know, the the, the people who formulated what we've now labelled as karate, they were all prolific cross trainers it's hard to find a single one of them who just studied under one guy you know so again you know i think good things come from lots of sources yeah i i say one of the things i say is is you know i teach a traditional mixed martial art you know it's <laughs> it's weapons there's groundwork there's throws you know i had somebody come and, and to the dojo one time and they watched the class and and he said wow you know i'm really uh Excited! I've always kind of wanted to study jujitsu, and I'm like, "Well, we're not jujitsu." And he's like, "Well, you're throwing stuff," and I'm like, "Well, no, <laughs> that's that's also in there too." That uh, also brings me another good or works onto another question that I had was, you know, uh, in your podcasts and in, in your videos and seminars and stuff, you really reference a lot to you know sort of the the past masters, uh, you know. And do you think that you know they're they're clearly you know my impression is that. You know, a lot of their precepts and, and, and concepts and, and thoughts on martial arts are still, you know, vital today. Do you think that they're being lost? And are you consciously trying to bring them back to the fore? Well, I, yeah. I mean, well, I, I, from my own training, I've kind of got like I've got one foot in the reality-based martial arts camp, and I've got one foot in the traditional camp, and I generally don't see any difference between them. When you, you listen to what modern reality-based self-defense guys say and what the old masters of karate said that generally in terms of concepts and principles are discussing um very similar things so i i i'm not a, um romantic about the history of it I, the only reason i quote it so much is because i think it's it, it, it's very relevant to the the modern day and i also think it helps you know for people who have that um traditional training traditional mindset you can sometimes for example I'll give preemption was one you know the, this idea of you know if you are think that the fight is about to begin and there is no way to avoid the situation despite your best efforts it's gonna get physical then um i was taught by a good number of my instructors well you hit first and then you run and then you get the traditional karate guys would get upset about that until I started saying, well, did you know that Funakoshi said the same? Did you know that Mabuni said the same? Did you know that Motobu recommended that? So I think sometimes referring back to the old masters for the traditionalist just gives them permission to, to listen to certain things, I think. so. It, um, but, I mean, the, the main reason I keep quoting it is because it's still valid. <laughs> well, and that's, again, practical. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. The, uh, and, and so, you know... It, working off of that so you know when you're focusing on the um uh, the practical aspects of the art you know as you see do you think there's any part of the actual you know kind of art quote unquote being lost uh you know um... I, I, I do but there shouldn't be so this is I, my um if you, if you take martial arts in its, its general sense meaning you know everything that we do there's so much value in there you know in terms of um Positive lifestyles, health benefits, um, enjoyment, cultural interest. There's just so much cool stuff. And I think if people just go, well, I'm only interested in self-defense and that's it, they're missing out on so much of the martial arts I've got to offer. Um, you know, th that, that should be to me, you know, any martial art that doesn't improve your abilities to keep yourself safe from violence. I mean, that's, a, that's an entry re level requirement for me. It, it should That should be part of its objectives. But I think if that's its only objective, 
you've you've got a problem. So I, I don't mind doing things for art for art's sake. I'm, I'm when I the, the analogy I always give just you know I'm talking from a home now. Well, I can run out the door and in twenty minutes I'm on top of this hill and I can see out across to Scotland and on a good day I can see across the Irish Sea on the other side and I'm surrounded by these great mountains. And when I'm up there slowly going through Makata, I don't care how practical it is. You know, I'm just enjoying the art of it. And, and those that, that kind of side of things for me is, is of, of great value. And I think when people just go, no, it's all about crime and violence, they just miss out on, on, on so much of that. And I don't think it's psychologically healthy to obsess on violence all the time either. It should be part of what we do. And we shouldn't confuse art for self-defense. But just, you know, do the whole lot of it because it's all good. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's one of the things that I really appreciate about your approach is, you know, when you talk about things, well, first off, the... the I can't remember how long ago it was, but when you did your podcast and you talked about karate as a civilian protection system, mm-hmm. I, mean, I was in my car and I was really like, thank you. That's what I've been trying to think of, <laughs> you know, because that's been kind of my, my, you know, I train with some guys and they're all, you know, rip their rip cage out and spit on them and, you know, whatever. <laughs> da, da, da. And I'm very much like, I don't want to fight because, you know, I don't want to get hurt anymore. And so then when you said that, that was like, the dominoes were already staged and started falling when, when you said that. And, uh, and, I, and I notice a lot in, the, in your seminars, you do that. You're engaged, you do what you need to do, and then you back out. And, you know, you back out, your hands are up. And you talk about the different ranges and stuff like that. Um, it, was that, uh, as you, you know, came up, up through Black Belt and stuff, was that uh, something that was enhanced and put forth in your training? Or is that something you kind of came to? Um, a bit of both you know so that's obviously influence of people who've taught me and then me running with it myself um (laughs) but this is i think that's you know if you we should always define what's the problem and then as soon as you do that then we know what the best solution is and what we tend to do in martial arts i find is we do the exact opposite i've got a solution and i'll try and reinvent the problem to fit my solution so you'll, you'll get a guy who say like a really good fighter and then he'll say, well, self-defense is a street fight. It, it's not a street fight. You know what I mean? Self-defense is self-defense. So what's your objective in self-defense? Well, it's to make sure that me and mine don't get harmed and in a way that's in accordance with the law of the land either, you know. So because of that, you know, you quickly realize, well, the best way for me to achieve that is to be as far away from this problem as I possibly can be. So we need to practice things like, you know, de-escalation, escaping skills, um, making sure that all our training is in accordance with, like, legal principles and things. And, and you mentioned about, like, you know, we do disengage and we do practice running away. We've got drills specifically designed to improve your ability to run away. So we and, and what really bugs me when you hear martial arts instructors teach self-defense, they'll do things like they'll say, oh, talk your way out of it if you can. Now let me show you how to get out of a headlock. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> tell, to tell me how to talk my way out of it yeah. you know, or run, run away if you can but anyway now let me show you how to deal with a front chip no 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 there's skills involved with running away you can't just say run away if you can and then magically I'll have those abilities if I've got to be good at something I need to practice it so and then this is why I mean one of my um, personal kind of bugbears at the moment is, is I see a lot of that where people are mistaking fighting which is fine, you know, fighting's, a, you know, it's good to go to the dojo and fight one another, and that's, it's, it's, it's nice to have those skills, And but to mistake fighting for self-defense is problematic tactically and legally. It's, it's oh, yeah. not, not a good thing, yeah. 
Yeah, I've, I, every whenever you you reiterate that you know a lot in your podcast, and you know you myself included. There's a lot of heads nodding. I'm sure. You know, one of my things that anyone who's out there who's listened to my show, I always say that in my dojo, I train. I, I don't do street fighting. I fight for the cul-de-sac. <laughs> you know, I live in the suburbs. You know, and so I'm not. I'm not gonna. You know, I'm not looking for a fight. I'm, you know, protecting me and mine, and I need to disengage. And uh, on this week's or last week's episode, I guess, you know, one of the things Dan brought up, we said, you know, he and I are both IT guys. We're on the keyboard all day. And I said, you know, if I break my hands in a fight, I can't work. So, you know, there's all that sort of thing, like de-escalation and avoiding the the conflict and then, you know, striking in a, a meaningful way. Well, and then you've got, I mean, so that, that, I mean, I think that the word street fight is one that we should strike from our lexicon. We shouldn't be using it. Amen, brother. Yeah, because you've got like, you've got fighting. So, I, you know, you, you, you enter a competition, you step into a cage on a mat in a ring, or you go to the dojo and you fight, and that's perfectly legal. It's healthy. It's fun. It's enjoyable. Great. But, but if you fight in the street, you've got no legal right to do that. It, it, it's, on one level, it's dumb because you can get injured. The second level, it's illegal. So we've I, we've got a legal right to defend ourselves. We don't have a legal right to fight in the street. So I think when people use the term street fighting and pretend it's synonymous with self-protection, that's a big problem. So I'm always wary for that when people go, would this work in a street fight? I go, look, the only person who gets involved in street fight are stupid people. There's no, there's no <laughs> it's stupid. It's yeah. ridiculous to, to say, well, okay, I will agree to fight you in the street. Because one is you can get severely harmed and the other one is you can go to prison for it. Right. You know, what I mean, so it's um, yeah, no, I'm 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 with you. It's, it's not, it's just, and, and that and, you know, and that doesn't mean that fighting skills don't have a, a place. I mean, I I, I you go to the judo dojo and you throw each other around and you have a good fight and it's great. You know, let let's do all of that, but let's not pretend that that's self defense. You know, and I also another one we do is if you notice it, like you'll get guys who'll say, um, you're, I've been involved in a thousand street fights, so I can tell you what works in the street. Well, to me, I don't want to learn self-defense from that guy any more than I'd want. I wouldn't want to learn road safety from the guy who said, no, I've been knocked over a thousand times, but I've survived every one. Right. You know, you want the guy who says, I understand traffic. I don't get hit by cars. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, you know, it's one of the people that, it, that it, I think there's a lot of it that, you know, there's a, you know, I, I don't know if you've noticed about martial art, but there's a little bit of ego involved. And, <laughs> and so a lot of those guys are like, you know, I'm street, this is street deadly. And I'm like, well, yeah. You know, yeah, it, it's the same thing as, you know, if I, I, a friend of mine who was in our, our federation and, and he trained and a lot of different stuff, he was a young guy and he used to go out a lot and he would always tell me about like these fights he would get into. And I'm like, how are you getting to so many fights? <laughs> you know, what, what are you, I mean, I understand he goes out and says like, but dude, I was in the Navy and I went out and I did a lot of stuff and I was in a lot of places that I should not have been and I never got into a fight. So how are you getting to so many fights? So when somebody is... You know, trying to talk about how, like you say, you know, they're, they've been in a thousand street fights. I'm like, well, did, did you win all of them? I can't believe that. Numbers, you know, would, would dictate that you probably lost one or two. But yeah, you know, you need to look at your life, not teach me. Exactly right. When, when, it's a, for those that are involved, you know, like police officers, doormen, people like that, I, I get, prison officers, yeah. I, I get through the, the definition of their employment. That's going to happen. Right. 
but the, but the, the guy that's you know like like as we said he's getting involved in it it's lifestyle issues and it's personal control issues and it's awareness issues and, and they're more far more effective self-defense skills than throwing a good punch if, if you're the kind of guy who gets irritated by people and starts swinging punches it's not better punching skills you need you need a personality adjustment you, you, you need <laughs> your personality is going to see you end up in prison or your personality is going to see you get badly hurt so we, we you know, right. it, it, it's always just said, okay, what's the objective? And the objective is to, you know, in, 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 enjoy our lives and, and not have that criminal element, you know, impact upon it. And then, you know, and, and again, the other thing I think we forget is that is, I mean, statistically, the chances of anyone in the modern Western world being a victim of violent crime are fairly low. I mean, obviously, the higher in some places other than than others, you know, um, and, and and certainly the chances of you dying from violent crime. I mean, I was just, I think the last set of government, the UK statistics, something like 550 people killed in 12 months, you know, and then you compare that and I think you're 70 times more likely to die from heart disease. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there's, there's that element, you know, if you really want to worry about, you know, protecting yourself, you know, then there's the, the physical side of it. The fact that you keep them fit and healthy are probably better for you than, than that. And, and, and the worry of obsessing about violent crime, the, the disproportionate worry about violent crime, that can be as damaging, I think, as the actual crime itself sometimes, you know. And I think oh, there's some elements of the martial arts who foster that. There's like a paranoia. You know, oh, totally. that is, and it's, it's, not, it's not psycho. I mean, uh, the, 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 the awareness... The, the precautions rather you take, they just need to be commensurate to the threat. If they're not in measure with the threat, then you're vulnerable. And if they're excessive compared to the threat, then you're in the paranoia zone. And right. we want to well, avoid both of those. Eh? And you got to remember, you know, you, you're, you're talking to somebody who's in the States and like, you know, context and nuance and whatnot. Have you seen Facebook? I mean, <laughs> we, we, we don't have that here, you know, people, you know, so... We've got, you know, I mean, regardless of what goes on, then that, of course, the, the, the single sampling statistic of, you know, one thing is, you know, there's street fights every day and there's gangs of thugs roaming up and down the streets when you walk out, you know, of your suburban house. So it's, yeah, yeah. And I, and I totally think that martial art instructors on various levels encourage that. You know? well, no, that's right, because it's marketing. Because, because right. what they're saying is the same, okay, let me tell you there's a problem and then I'll let me sell you the solution to that problem. Right. But, but so, 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 so it, it, but that's, that's, that's not, you're far better going is, you know, yes, you know, that, that possibly does exist and we'll address that. But you know what? One of the most likely ways that you're going to die is heart disease. So let's, let's exercise and get, let's get some healthier. <laughs> right. You know, let's, let's spend some good time in a positive environment with, with, with good people and let's prepare for violent crime. So we're ready for it, but we're not going to obsess about it and we're not going to let it dominate our lives. And we're not going to kind of be scared to leave our house because we've bought into the fact that everybody we're coming across is a, you know, a potential murderer. It's just, it's, 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 not like that, you know. And right. again, going back to our point is, if you're the kind of person who goes, well, nowhere in my life, there are people trying to kill me every day. We'll sort your life out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, exactly. You need to go and reflect. Go to the library and hang out. The uh, one of the things that that I like joking, like my friends that do, you know, a lot of grappling and whatnot, and they'll say, you know, ninety percent of the fights end up on the ground. And I said, well, yeah. That's the ground guys telling you that because 100% <laughs> of their fight should end up on the ground because that's what they do. They go to the ground. And, and we were kind of talking back and forth. And I said, well, you know, you go to YouTube. This is, you know, we'll go to YouTube and look at the videos and people end up on the ground. I said, but look at them and see what happens. A lot of times they're, they're swinging wildly and then someone trips and the other guy falls on top of them. 
Yes, it went to the ground because they were stupid, and you know they they tripped. <laughs> it, but, it's not by design; it was by by fault. Yeah, but that, 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 I mean, and again, you know, when you get these statistics, a lot of them as well come from police departments. So if a police, you know, you want to handcuff somebody, you want him face down on the ground. You know what I mean? So it's different for civilians. I don't need to worry about what happens to that criminal. I just need to be away from him. So I, you know, I mean, so and and, and I think I, I always, I mean, I use the analogy for, I mean, ground fighting for its own sake. You know, I got the the judo dojo and you do the the rolling round on the ground and it's 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 great fun and then if you take the back the self-defense context i always say well it, it's like um crash landing is to the airline pilot you know it's a skill that he needs but it's not a skill he wants to use <laughs> so so you know if, if the plane's heading towards the ground well he best know how to land it safely you know what i mean so that, that, yes that's a skill you definitely need but he wouldn't choose to crash land so when people go like you know 90 percent of fights end up on the ground yeah, but you don't want to be there. Right. And, and, and the big one for me on that is because of the, the multiple opponents. And this is another one I think a lot of martial artists do wrong. It's all the training's one-on-one, the drill one-on-one. And, right. and, 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 and for UK crime stats, I think yeah, 40% of violent crime involves more than one person. And that 40% is the one where you get injured. So, so most violent crime is in the UK is drunk young males punching other drunk young males where nobody gets seriously injured, right? So, so hmm. just don't go where drunk males hang out and grow up. You know, the older you get in the UK, <laughs> the older you get in the UK, the less likely you are to be a violent crime. Most vi- people that are involved in violent crime are under twenty-four. Right. So, so, so when we've got um um. Uh, you know, as, as, you, as you get older, it, it, it's less of a, a, um, a worry. So once you get into that, you've got this forty percent where gangs are involved. They're the ones where people get badly injured. You know, kicked to death. You know, beaten, badly hurt. And if there's multiple people, and if you train multiple people, you'll learn that it doesn't matter how good you are on the ground, as soon as you are on the ground with that guy, and you could be choking him out, you could be snapping his joints. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be winning that ground fight. But his five friends will be sticking the feet into your head, yeah. you know, or, or his or his or his one friend will, or they'll be stabbing you. You know, it's just the the the, the, the ground can be a fun place to be for play mm-hmm. and and for one on one fighting, and it's a skill we need should everything else go wrong. But to opt to do it, it's it's just it's it's a, it's a bad move. And when people try and argue that it's not, I say you've never drilled it with more than one person. Right. Just drill, drill it with more than one person and tell that person kick. The guy. One of the wood drills we do, I'll get two to fight on the ground, numbered one and two. So one and two will roll around on the ground trying to pin one another, submit one another, you know, enjoy the play of it. And then the guy that's standing up, the third guy, I as the instructor will shout out one or two. And at that point, the third guy goes to the help of the guy whose number I've just shouted. And he can punch and he can kick and he can grapple and without fail. The, the, the guy that's getting helped is going to win and the guy that's not is going to lose because he's so vulnerable, he can't move. And even if he's winning, the other guy can just put his feet in really easy. Ground is not a good place to be for self-defense. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, I did that with one of my students. Was He was a young guy and he wrestled in high school and he would always like do, go to the ground on stuff. And so one day I was like, okay, you know, do your thing. And they attacked me. I had everybody in the dojo jump on him. <laughs> and he got done and, and he looked up at me like you know you son of a and I I said well you know there you go there's there's the breakdown on that you know uh, I don't think that it, it, we talked about it in our last episode about you know the, the crucible um, about these you know big huge uh, long tests and then one of them and a lot of the videos and stuff I see it's generally like one guy sparring like three people 
and they're never doing anything to uh, get out or get away. They're never they're not doing anything to kind of better their position. They're basically just you know taking punches and, and hitting a guy. And you know they all three circle them. They don't you know string them or you know, they they do nothing to try and do it. And and to me in my head, and that's what we talked about was like that's not effective self defense because it does nothing that you talk about the rest of the time. And, no, no, that, that, that's it. That's exactly. And what you, I'm totally with you because you find that um, with multiple opponents, because people go the, the, the standard answer when you say. If you've got multiple opponents, you don't want to grapple. You don't want to get the ground. They say, "Well, look, if there's more than one person, you're probably going to lose anyway." Well, to me, that's well, what just what give up and die is that my option? You know, so you, you've got to think. <laughs> but their mistake is to think, you know, I can't outfight three uh, three people, and you're probably right. You can't outfight three people. So what you don't do is you don't fight them. It's in a self-defense context. You flee. Right. You fight to flee. But again, if you haven't practiced those skills. You won't be good at them because there is skills in terms of, well, how do you move? How do you hit while you're moving? How do you create space? Um, so we'll have in the dojo, is, and they have to do it for grading exams as well. You, you say, okay, um, for example, you put one person in a certain position. You'll put a couple of people in front of him and say, right, you've got the – they can punch, they can kick, they can go to the ground. You can do whatever you want. You've got to try and escape. You've got to get to that red mat or you've got to touch the wall. or And you guys have got to you know just beat the living daylights out of him and try and stop him. And, and, and if you try and fight them, uh, um, it's always a disaster. This is the, the fighting <laughs> skills aren't good for self-defense. If they put up the guard and try and fight, or if they grab up one person, that's it, game over. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I think you did a video on that one time uh, a few years ago, and I, I did that in mind, and it was like a, an eye-opening experience. Uh, because especially in, ours, in the dojo that we were training at the time, it was essentially like it was like a 12-foot wide, 40-foot long sort of hallway so it was really easy to hem people in. And so get, trying to get in, you know, tight spaces. So trying to get, you know, six feet past two people, very hard. Uh, and, and it was a good drill. So thank you for that, by the way. No, um, no, you're, well, you're welcome. You know, and then that's a, you know, that's a thing, you know, if, we, if we're going to do it, we've got to drill it live. And we've got to drill it in a way that mimics what we're actually going to try and do in, in reality, you see. And I think then very quickly you, you learn what works and what doesn't. And it also answers that problem as well, because we talked about, you know, sometimes people have this thing of, um, uh, well, uh, um, you, if you haven't got any real life experience, then you don't know what you're talking about. But we don't want you to get real life experience because you shouldn't get involved in fights. And that, that you get this kind of dichotomy for students where they get confused, where you get some martial artists saying, you know, well, you need real life experience. And they get others saying, yeah, but don't. And I think one of the good things, if you structure your training right, is although it's not real, it's far from real. We can give people realistic experiences where we're not telling them, look, go out into the big wide world and cause trouble and go to bad places and, you know, see if it works. We can let them see if it works by replicating it as closely as we can in the dojo, you know, so it's a good confidence builder for them that way. And they gain legitimate experiences and, and are much more able to assess what works and doesn't work in scenarios like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, there was a, a question. Get back to the actual you know, martial arts side of, of what's going on. So when you, um, uh, you're constantly push, pushing out uh, information and, and you're posting up videos and it, it's, it's pretty remarkable, you know, the, the, uh, the amount of information that you put out. So how do you approach research and stuff? Do you come up with a concept that you're in class one day and you see, you know, a technique in a kata and go, oh, there's a good drill I can pull out of that. And then, yeah, 
do you work with your students? Do you work it with some training partners? Do you, you know, and, and on your podcast, a lot of times you'll then go back to, you know, an old karate text or something and say, and, you know, this is like the thing about Funakoshi's throws and stuff like that. How do you, I mean, are you constantly researching or are you just having like aha moments in the shower and then, you know? <laughs> no, I, um, I'm lucky really that this is my full-time job, you see. So from the moment I get up in the morning, I'm studying martial arts pretty much until the moment I go to sleep at night. So you know, I'm either producing stuff on it or I'm talking to people about it. I'm teaching it. I'm interacting with other people. So the the research tends to be a, a never-ending process really you know and fortunately you know i've got the the time to do it as well so but you're constantly getting there's just you're surrounded by it, you know like i'll go onto my forum on my website and someone will pose a question that's a, you know, it's a good angle i haven't explored yet or um someone will recommend a book that i haven't read and i'll read that and that'll throw up some new lines of inquiry and um and you know i'm lucky that the, the guys that I, I, I personally you know train with you know Murray's and Fred's and Tim's and all. I mean, you know, the people will know from the books and the videos. I mean, they've been training. They're all, you know, 20, 30-year martial veterans as well. So I've got people like that around me um, bouncing ideas off me as well. So it's, um, it's a yeah, pretty much endless process. Oh, oh, and probably the way it should be, I imagine. Yeah, but uh, it's a bit more iconic. But what tends to happen is every so often someone will say something and it, it's, it's a, a character flaw that works well for me, really. But when... I can be a bit single-minded, so when someone mentions a certain thing or an idea, then I have to explore it to the nth degree before I can let it go. So sometimes that will happen. Is there'll be something that just sparks, okay, I need to learn about this, or I need to kind of explore this, or I need to think about this, and then that will be kind of end up like mini-projects, if you like. But they, they, they're branches off an organic trunk, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking down my, my list of... Uh... Awesome question. Uh, you know, you, you you clearly have researched, you know, the history of karate. You've, you know, you, you seem to have a, a pretty good facility with the terminology and whatnot. Have you actually traveled to Japan or Okinawa and trained over there? Um, uh, I've been to Japan once, so um, uh, a number of years ago. So I, the, the, my, my um, research isn't direct. Um, but I don't think it needs to be either, to be quite honest, because I've always said I'm a pragmatist, not an historian. So my interest in history only goes as far as it helps me today. So you'll get, you know, people argue, no, 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 he didn't die in 1926. He died in 1925. My view is, well, he's dead. You know what I mean? I don't need to know the exact date, you know. <laughs> um, and so you'll get you'll get things like that. Oh, master such and such taught it this way and master such and such taught it that way. I thought I don't really care because I need to know how I'm doing it. So, um, yeah, yeah, well, that's what we call it. I, I, we did a show, or I think I posted on Facebook or something about martial, you know, karate hipsters. And I, I think there's a, <laughs> a, you know, a certain point of, you know, okay, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's the ancient scrolls, and, you know, there's, he said, and then he said, and then there's, the, you know, in our federation, uh, you know, well, there's politics in every federation, clearly. But when you hear like the stories of guys who trained in Okinawa, you know, back in the 70s and the 60s and whatnot, and you hear like four different versions of essentially the same story, and then in my head I just kind of average them and you know, kind of go down the middle, and I'm like, that's probably what happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, but but it doesn't change the fact, you know, that you know, whatever the technique is, is, is probably still the same technique. It's just whatever emphasis whoever taught it along the way 
came over that air. I have um, that's exactly. I have a little exercise that I do at um, seminars. It takes about an hour where we. I always say it's four hundred years of karate history in one hour. And, and I mean, I won't explain it all now, but basically we do that where I get people to create a kata, then they've got to split off and then they've got to teach it. Then I'll get them back into groups to standardize it. And it, it, very quickly, people realize how these Chinese whispers, if you like, or the telephone game, how it can have a big <laughs> influence on um, how things get um, transmitted without losing the core message, I think, in a lot of cases. But people obsess about the details in a way that's maybe not overly healthy i mean i do like the history of it and I, and I think one of the reasons the karate appeals to me as opposed to other martial arts is i like to feel part of that tradition i like to feel part of that line that's you know came behind me to where i am now and they'll extend on in front of me after i'm done um so from that point of view i like to know the the history but i, I i'm not an historical reenactment guy you know <laughs> i i, I want to know what i'm doing for me now and and we've got to remember that's what the old masters were doing you know that they weren't trying to preserve some archaic old system that were saying well you know what what works for us and that they were seemed to have no issue whatsoever with changing and tweaking things in a in a way that they felt made things more you know efficient oh yeah that's yeah that's actually when we talk to uh, i have people come and train with me from you know other systems and uh because there's not a lot of okinawan styles uh, here in in Austin, but you know, we, we talk about cross training, and you know, and, and so I have a friend of mine who's a Goju guy, and, and he's doing Kabuto, and he's like, you know, what you know, bow kata do you do? And I'm like, well, I do bow shodan, I do bow nidan, I do bow sandan, <laughs> and he's like, well, uh, well, we do those, but we'll do them, and they'll look differently. I'm like, well, yeah, because that was just something, and then but we'll do kata that is the same name, and it's you know. Uh, different enough to be noticeably different, and and you know somebody says he's like I've got to collect the versions of of that. Set. I was like, well, you have the kata. The versions <laughs> are whatever you because those guys work together, and that guy liked this thing, and that guy liked that thing. It's not two different ones; it's the same one. Yeah, absolutely. Different approaches, yeah. and 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 that I think kind of delves off into the martial hipsterism hipsterism a little bit. Of you know trying to find the most pure or more you know it's whatever whatever's working. That's what we call it. Um, that's what I prefer. Uh, to get back to your regular class, so, I mean, uh, you're clearly a little bit of a celebrity, you know, to those of us in, in, in karate in general, but uh, it, it, you, you are, man. You're awesome. And uh, we really appreciate all your work that, that you do. But Thank you. When, when people come into your dojo, like, do you, do you have, like, new students walk in and they're like, hey, can I sign up for K-Roddy? I mean, they wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, there's, you know, that's saying you're never a prophet in your old land, are you? You know, that, that's – so I, the town that I teach in, um, my family goes back generations here, you know. Um, everybody that's been, you know, in the town, they all know me. Um, is, but they – the club that's in the town, they've no real idea of its 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 wider influence or the fact that I travel as extensively as I, I do. Most people just turn up because it's one of the local clubs and they know me and they know that I teach there. Um, it's one of the things that my, my girlfriend, uh, she trains in um, Gojiru. The first time she visited my club, she was amazed that half of them didn't even know that I'd written books and DVDs when she was talking to them. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so, it's a, and, and, and you just forget, you know, we turn up and we train and, you know, and then they're just, some of the younger students have just, if, unless they've searched my name on 
Google that they, you know, they probably wouldn't know, you know. Huh, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, many of my students don't know that I'm an internationally known podcaster, uh, <laughs> feared and revered. But uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, in my head, I'm trying to imagine, yeah, because you are com kind of a smaller town. So, I mean, are there many other schools in your area? And are they all like, you know? Yeah, there's quite a few, but m most of the ones that we have, I mean, you know, we all kind of know each other. So there's some, you know, like occasionally, like everywhere, you get clubs have opened up by some guy who's trained for six months and started his own dojo, but they never tend to last particularly long. But those that have some longevity and a decent kind of lineage, we've all trained together. We all know one another, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I know in a lot of places you'll get kind of a lot of rivalry between certain clubs, and we don't tend to get that too much around here, really. Everybody knows who each other's clubs what they focus on so i'll get people who'll send students to mine i'll send students to other people's if i think they can better serve them so right. and and you're in your class I, I i've seen a couple of videos that you know you said were, were from a regular night's class mm -hmm. you do you is your school like in a storefront i mean are you just you know you teaching at like a rec center right a church hall yeah church right. halls and, and it's the same church hall we've taught in for uh, what's 27, 28 years? I think the club's wow. been going now. So, um, yeah, that's uh, how I started. It was in a church hall, you know, right down the street from my house. So, yeah, well, this is, I mean, I started this, um, I, I trained 15 miles away from where I live. Um, I eventually, I was, um, one of my instructors, it was a third Dan, was starting a club up in my hometown. So I was a, think of a new first down or something at the time, you know, said I'd help. And then um, he injured himself and quit. <laughs> so, so I suddenly found myself in a club to run. So that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's how, how that kind of um, worked. And it's just been uh, been run ever, ever, ever since. But we're just a small club, you know. I think sometimes when, because, you know, I've got a relatively um, big online presence and public profile, but, you know, there's 20 of us training most nights there'll be you know because people work and stuff there'll be 15 16 of us you know a lot of whom have trained for a very long time so it's not a a big storefront thing with hundreds of students it's just a small number of people who get together and train a few times a week you know wow that's amazing because i mean you know clearly that's dan and i have talked about it on more than a few occasions it was like we got to find that whatever that combination that, that, that Ian did to become a pro. And so, you know, kind of in your head, you know, you don't, uh, don't take this the wrong way. It's like, you're a commercial martial artist, you're a professional martial artist, what you do, you know, you do what you do for a living, but you kind of, and that's why I asked the question was, because in your head, you got to think of like, well, this guy has got to have like this really slick, cool looking dojo with like all these students, <laughs> and, you know, da, da, da. and then when I see uh -huh. the videos and it's like, that's a chimney, and I mean, that's a fireplace <laughs> that's in, the, right. in, the, in the back. And, <laughs> the fireplace, yeah, yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what? Is that just like a back room? Is that his house? I don't get it. And then, you know, <laughs> when you say like, oh, it's a, a night at the, at the dojo, you don't think about that, that although you're a professional martial artist, uh, you know, clearly your dojo is not what you're looking at as, you know, No, nah, it, it costs me money. The, uh, the club loses money. You know, I mean, it's because um, we've never put fees up in God knows how long. And on that side of things, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, I, I like the club. I like the people down at the club, but it's it's not um it's not a commercial part of 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 what I do really. But I had to laugh to a friend of mine once went on a course like a business martial arts course, 
and they were talking about various ways in which you could, you know, monetize the martial arts and make a you know, good living from following your passion. So they went through all the various models that you can do, you know, so you can make products and you can sell equipment and you can run schools and you can run competitions and they're doing all this kind of stuff. And then finally goes on, there's the Ian Abernethy way of doing things, you know, that travels, teaches seminars, sells, you know, kind of books and DVDs, you see. So my friend came back and I was like, well, I said, you know, he says, I was on, they did a section on your method. I said, I didn't even, wasn't even aware I had a method. So it sounds like I need to go on that course. Yeah. <laughs> Find out what you're doing right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I say I'm, I'm lucky that way because I, I did, for, there was a period of time where I was teaching every night of the week and, and uh, I didn't enjoy it. It, it was it was it was too much. I, I, I make no secret of this, but I, I work better with what I call the karate nuts, the people who are super <laughs> enthusiastic about it. So and and that, that you know, if I've got a white belt who's a karate nut, that's great. If I've got a you know fifth dan who's a karate nut, that's great too. But you know, it, it's a high level of enthusiasm. So I'm not. There's a place I think for recreational martial arts. I, 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 you know, the guy who wants to do it maybe once twice a week and that's his thing. But but that's not my thing. So um, when I was teaching a lot, I was finding that I was spending a lot of my time with what I would call the recreational martial artists, and it just wasn't satisfying enough for me. So, but thankfully, you know, the, the seminar side of things it, um, took off to such a huge degree um, that enables me to, um, as you say, put out all the free stuff that I do, keep a roof over my head, uh, and get to travel and spend my time with all the, the karate nuts, you know, so... It's you know, good for me and good for them, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. And mm. here, I've got a note here. Uh, it was about you know explaining about martial arts in the UK, and you're talking about how far your family goes back uh, in the area. And I remember you did a, a show where one day where you you uh, you said a, a, a quote in Cumbrian or something, <laughs> and they had to, and and I don't know about six months later, you put a a podcast out, and this is you know just I don't know this sticks in my head every time I, I listen to your show. Is you were talking about a technique, and you and and you use you know terms, you know, Japanese terminology, not a ton, but enough to where you said something you were talking about, and uh, when you're doing an edite kick, and I was like, edite kick, <laughs> edite kick, <laughs> what you know, and I'm thinking like ed i t e, and I'm and I, and I like literally for a week I listened to it again, and I'm like edite kick, edite kick, and then. <laughs> A week or three later, you had another shot. And I was like, "Oh, a head height kick!" Ah, <laughs> right. because oh, you know, I, I know now you're using our, your your posh accent, as you say, you know. And oh, and this this is, I mean, that's pe- people remark on the accent a lot because they can't quite place it because it's not what they they think of as an English accent, you know. So it gets yeah. mistaken for Scottish and Irish and all kinds of things, you know, because people can't quite. Um, uh, quite, can't, can't quite get it. But when I talk to my friends and my family and I drop into my full accent, I mean, so my, my girlfriend's from Oxford, you know, so she speaks as she would say, Ox- uh, proper English. Mm-hmm. But so when she hears me speak, she's like, no, no, couldn't get a word of that. You know, when when, it's, when I drop into my local local speech. But the, the ones I always, it's obviously, you know, teach in a lot of countries where English isn't the first language. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the guys tell me that, you know, for the first five minutes, I didn't understand a word. <laughs> <laughs> and then I managed to tune in to, okay, I'm with him now, you know, so. Yeah, that's yeah. literally the question I was getting ready to ask is, is there a, because, you know, you're going to be, uh, for those of you guys who, who similarly don't, don't follow Ian, he's going to be here in Texas. Uh, so you're gonna have to deal with that Texas drawl, you know. You may it may be the other way for you. You may be going like, "What did he say?" Well, 
I think one of the advantages we have that way is, is because we get so much American TV, movies, um, music, used to certain American accents, you know what I mean, and all the variations that you get, you see. So I've, ne- I've never had that, that, that problem yet, but um, you never know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out at the end of January. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and and of course, you know, you got to make sure no one brings a gun in because you know, you'd be doing weapons defense all day. This is Texas, you have to like, you know, everyone has to unload at the door. It's, it's, this, and, and this is your first uh, seminar in Texas, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you see a, a money, maybe more of a shift? Because I know you're over in, in Europe a lot. Are you seeing more of a shift towards the Americas or, you know, otherwise? Uh, a few more, yeah. I mean, I, I used to get a lot of inquiries from um, the US, but but you, and Canada as well. But you, you know, you've got this thing called the Atlantic Ocean, and it just makes it timely and costly to get there. I mean, I can get to Germany, Denmark, Norway. I pop on a plane, I'm there an hour and a half. You know what I mean? So a lot of Europe's a small place, so um, it's easy to get around, and you can, you know. I mean, I've done it. I've, I've taught in a European country where I've. I've left in the morning and I've been back the next, you know, early in the early hours of the following day. Obviously, going across the US, it's it's um, it's it's a bit more difficult. But uh, lovely the US though; it's always a fun place to teach it for me. It's um, uh, always an exciting place to visit. Uh, yeah, we and we're very excited to have you here. Uh, and I guess maybe uh, just real quick before we wrap up, when what are you? And clearly, as Everyone knows I'm a huge fanboy of you, and many people that listen to this podcast are. Are there anybody that you're kind of like awed by in the martial arts that you've run into because you've been doing these seminars? Oh yeah, loads of people. Um, I, I mean, I, I just the one that immediately I was, I was just uh, was um, well. It, I, I, this is where I'm really lucky is I get to rub shoulders now with a lot of the people that I get excited about talking to and training with so if you like um chris wilder and Lawrence kane in the u.s you know i really like their stuff and i'm you know both guys are quite friendly with me now and then um, i really enjoy rory miller's stuff and i've been like mark mcyoung stuff i've been a big fan of Mark's stuff for years and years and years and then the first time i taught in seattle um it was part of a group event that mark was teaching at and I remember looking across at Mark teaching and really enjoying what he was teaching. And then I had this kind of fanboy moment where I realized that, well, Mark McYoung's got a T-shirt with my name on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's wearing a T-shirt with all the names of the people teaching and my name's on it, you see. So, oh, so okay. yeah, no, that's, that's, and that's the thing, you know, I, I, I've a, I really never uh, started martial arts as a young kid and it enthralled me and excited me then. And that's never gone. And where I'm lucky now is that, you know, I get to do it on a kind of um, full-time basis. So there's people that I'm, I'm always meeting that, you know, really kind of impress me, you know. Some that are well-known, some that are not so well-known. But, um, yeah, I've definitely had that, yeah. Well, Ian Abernathy, thank you very, very much for being on Karate Cafe. My pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been it's great. Again, uh, thank you for all the work you do, your your commitment to martial arts in general, Practical karate in, in particular, and uh, you know, and, and for my personal thing, you know, a uh, sort of I don't know a reiteration about like how important kata is and how uh, the 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 foundation of of martial arts. Well, thank you very much, John. Please, you you find it of value. That's great. <laughs> Myself and many 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 people do. <laughs> uh, anyway, and have a happy holidays, and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you in in January. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you too. Thank you very much. Holy cow, that was fantastic. 
Uh, I got to speak with Ian Abernethy. That's, uh, I'm just over the moon about that. Uh, everyone knows uh, the Karate Cafe's, you know, uh, admiration of, of what he does and, and how he does it and uh, how much he has helped bring traditional martial arts kind of back to the fore and, uh, you know, to, to some sort of relevance. Not that it was irrelevant, don't get mad at people, but to bring uh, traditional martial arts and, and, and let people revisit um, all the awesome things that there, there are to find and, and expand people's minds is, is just fantastic. We really appreciate him sitting down and taking the time in this holiday season, and we really hope you guys all had a really great holiday season. I'm sure you guys used the Amazon link uh, to, to buy things for your loved ones and maybe a little something for yourself. Go ahead, treat yourself right. So with that, uh, we probably won't have any more shows until 2016, and I think this is a great way to wrap up uh, this year, this 10th year of Karate Cafe. So with that, we look forward to talking to you all again in 2016. Thanks for listening to another episode of Karate Cafe. You can join the conversation by emailing us at karatecafe at gmail.com. Call our comment line at 469-844-5791 or log into the forum at karatecafe.com. Remember, you can support the show by visiting our sponsor, piranagear.com, or shopping at Amazon through our link, karatecafe.com slash Amazon, or donate at karatecafe.com. I'm Steve Henderson, proud supporter and voice talent for Karate Cafe. If you or someone you know needs an effective voice for a film, television, radio, or new media web project, contact me at stevehendersonvoiceovers at gmail.com or call me at 404-314-8400. Once again, thanks for listening to Karate Cafe.